We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. From verse 17 and following, they're very clear that Jesus did indeed claim to be the Messiah. He claimed to be God. And it was this claim, even more so than breaking the little rules of the Sabbath, that instilled within the religious leaders a desire to kill Jesus. This was obviously a very dark time for Jesus and those around him, but a necessary time. And you'll hear more on today's edition of Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely. He's in the book of John, the fifth chapter, and he's taking us not only verse by verse, but almost word by word through this very important portion of Scripture. Additional information about the church is available on the website churchofthehighlands.org. That's churchofthehighlands.org. And now here's Pastor Leighton. Now, on the basis of his claims to being equal with God, he begins a warning for us in verse 25. So let's look at verse 25 and following. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, I want you to notice something, and that is that here, for the first time, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God. He normally refers to himself as the Son of Man. That was his favorite title. And as we got together last time, we realized that was really a messianic claim because that title was introduced in Daniel chapter 7. But here for the first time, he introduces himself as the Son of God. It's only mentioned, Son of God is only mentioned three times uh, in the gospel. Now, the Bible teaches us that believers will rise from the dead, that we will be given new bodies that are perfect and incorruptible. Now, I'll tell you, folks, as this body is wearing out, I'm looking more and more to that new body. I'm, I want a new body. <laughs> And, and furthermore, that new body that we're going to have, it's not going to have any traces of the old sinful nature, that rebellious nature that we all have to contend with. Even the Apostle Paul wrote about his contention with his, the nature in his members in Romans chapter 7. But the new body, we're not going to have that nature. and We're not going to be wrestling with it. Doing what is pleasing to God is no longer going to be a struggle. Aren't you looking forward to that? Praise the Lord. Now, the Bible also teaches that unbelievers will rise again from the dead. Unfortunately, they're not going to experience spiritual restoration. They're going to stand in judgment for the deeds, the evil deeds that they have committed in their life. Now, while works are not the basis of our salvation, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Works are not the basis of salvation. Works are the basis of divine judgment. Scriptures tell us that people are going to be judged for their deeds. Now, we as believers would also be judged for our deeds, except that what God has done when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is taken the debt of our sin, the wages of our sin. And if you were an accountant, you'd say, 
he has transferred our debt to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ went to Calvary's cross to pay the wages of our debt, the wages of our sin by dying on Calvary's cross. Now, Revelation describes a terrible judgment that awaits Satan, his demons, and humans that miss their opportunity to have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And, and Jesus Christ is the perfect judgment, a perfect judge for Judgment Day. You know, I suspect there are going to be people who stand on Judgment Day and they're going to say, okay, I've got, I've got a strategy to get out of this. What I will do is I will stand before God and I will say, God, you know, you really have no idea of what it's like to be human. Um, you know, I, I, you don't understand how difficult it is to, to deal with the temptations and the weaknesses and all of those kinds of things. You just have no idea, God. And how surprised are they going to be when Jesus Christ is their judge and Jesus Christ is going to say, I have every idea because I've been there. I, I got the T-shirt. Jesus Christ is going to be our judge. The scriptures tell us that he was tempted in every way just like we are, yet was without sin. He's the perfect judge because you're not going to be able to stand before him on that day and say, you have no idea. He has every idea. He is perfect to be the ultimate judge of mankind. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own, but the will of him who sent me. Now, up until this point, he's been talking in the third person. He's been, um, or using a title like the Son of Man, Son of God. Here, he t- talks about himself in the first person. He wants there to be no ambiguity of whom he is speaking. Now, what he claims here is that his judgment is just true because it is the will of God. He is seeking to do only the will of God. His judgment would be the same as God's judgment. Now, it's very difficult for one person to judge another person, a human to judge a human, because our judgments are always tilted or slanted or affected by something. It might be that we have an injured pride We think that somebody has messed with us, and so we have an opportunity to be their judge at some point. We're going to mess with them. Uh, Or it might be based on some prejudice. There's something about them, the characteristic about them that elicits some prejudice uh, that's in our hearts, and so we don't judge fairly. It might be out of jealousy. We think that person has had a better or easier life, and here's our opportunity now as their judge to make life a little more miserable for them. Uh, It might be based on envy. It might be out of ignorance. You know, we don't know everything about another person. Uh, Stephen Covey, in one of his books on leadership, talks about paradigm. Paradigm is the way you perceive the world around you. And uh, he gave an example of this. He said that there was a subway car. I don't know which city it was in, but there was a subway car, and a man and his children got in the subway car. The man was sitting there on on the, on the chair, and he was, he was not paying attention to his kids. It seemed like he was, his mind was someplace else. His kids were all over the car. They were pulling on people's belongings, their coats, and they were just, just filling the car with all kinds of tension. The people were getting upset, you know. And finally, one of the people there said, Are these your kids? Would you do something about them? Because they're really making the rest of us miserable. And the man looked up from the chair, and he said, Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, They're my children. I'm their father. We just came from the hospital. Their mother just passed away. All of a sudden, those people had new information they didn't have a moment before that entirely changed their paradigm, their understanding of what was taking place. No wonder the guy was not 
paying attention. He was trying to figure out what to do and loss of his, of his, and the kids, I mean, they were instantly adopted by everybody in the train. You know, there were people in their suits sitting on the floor playing with the kids and talking with the kids and things like that. That piece of information changed their paradigm, changed their understanding. We, we have a tendency as people to make judgments based on totally inadequate information. But God knows everything. And so as that, because he knows everything, he can make a perfectly just decision. He is the perfect judge. He's holy. The same standards apply to everyone. He's loving. He knows everything. He is the perfect judge. Verse 31, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, some people say, well, it's Jesus here confessing he doesn't tell the truth. Is his testimony questionable? No, that's not what Jesus is saying in this verse. What Jesus is doing is he's setting the foundation for the dialogue that's going to follow. He's being approached by rabbis, by religious leaders. They are questioning his authority to do what he's doing. And so he's basically setting the rules of jurisprudence, the rules down. And he's saying that, that a decision cannot be based on the evidence of one person. Uh, there's a universal principle of jurisprudence that the evidence of one person cannot be taken as proof. There must be at least two witnesses. Deuteronomy 17 says, On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, he that is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. Two chapters later, A single witness shall not prevail against a man for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be sustained. When Paul was getting ready to come to Corinth to do some confrontation there, he confirmed that what he was going to do was based on two or three witnesses. That's in 2 Corinthians 13. And Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 18, when we're dealing with a discipline issue, that we should take another person. We should take another person to be a witness when we're dealing with a brother who we believe is in wrong. And then it was the practice of the early church in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that no charge against any elder or leader of the church would be entertained unless it was supported by two or three witnesses. 1 Timothy 5.19. Now, this was not limited to Jewish custom and Christian custom. It was also a universal custom as well. For instance, Demosthenes, a great Greek order, laid down the principle of justice. He said, the laws do not allow a man to give evidence on his own behalf. Even the, the, the Greeks knew that someone who was call, giving evidence on their own behalf was going to be slanted in one way or another. And so what Jesus does here is he sets the ground rules. I'm going to follow the rules that you guys have, and I'm going to present multiple witnesses to support my claims. And one of those witnesses was John the Baptist. Verse 32, There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So John the Baptist's testimony supported Jesus' claims as being the Messiah. And John the Baptist was generally regarded as being a prophet of God. In fact, the first one in, in four centuries. 
And as such, his testimony carried considerable weight. He was very popular among the people. That's obvious. But he alienated some because he was in their face, uh, very sternly calling for personal repentance. He uh, uh, denounced the nation's hypocrisy. And he had this offensive practice of baptizing Jewish people. Now, Jewish people thought they didn't need to be baptized. Because as they, because they were Jewish, they were automatically saved. Being baptized was for Gentiles. But what John the Baptist did is he baptized everybody because he realized that everybody needed to be baptized in repentance to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. People who knew John's ministry oftentimes missed the point of John's ministry, which was to point to Jesus as the coming Messiah. Sounds a lot like what you and I should be about, doesn't it? You're listening to Study Verse by Verse, a daily feature here on this station with Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. And uh, if you'd like additional information about the church, you can go to their website at churchofthehighlands.org. That's churchofthehighlands.org. We'd love to know that you're listening. Our uh, website for this particular broadcast outreach is studyversebyverse.com. That's studyversebyverse.com. Join us tomorrow when Pastor Layton will once again open the Word of God and we'll study verse by verse.